We do like to have different voices as part of our um, worship leading and of our active worship. But when I was thinking about this passage, I just wanted to read it myself, so forgive me for not inviting someone else to speak it, to read it. Paul has just been talking about the promise of the restoration of Israel, God's people. And because he's, and, and in the same way, all the things he's speaking about in his restoration of his people is perfectly suitable and applicable to us, every one of us, as his people. God promises to restore us. And that's the context that leads into the therefore at the beginning of Romans chapter 12. Basically saying, if you want to be... Basically, I, objection overruled. Bas, basically, saying if you want to be God, if you want to be restored as a as a child of God, this is how I want you to live. Paul says, therefore, as I just read it, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, that reading familiar, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour the other. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. But be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord God, for your word, we, we thank you.
But Lord, we pray that your spirit would bring those words alive in our hearts and minds. That your spirit would speak to us and challenge us and change us. That we might be the people you would have us be, individually and as a church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the uh, renewed covenant reminds us, as we've said this morning, that we are to be a prophetic people, an inclusive people, a sacrificial people, a missionary people, and a worshipping people. And uh, Peter and Alan have reminded us of what it is to be both a prophetic and inclusive people, and today I bring what it is to be sacrificial. So what the covenant actually says of that is this, we are called to be a sacrificial people, risking uncertainty, becoming vulnerable and reflecting the generosity of God. Uh, I hope this familiar passage in Romans will help us to think about what it might mean to us. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome. You may remember Peter and I did a series on Romans in 2014, six years ago. Uh, and uh, this was obviously one of the passages we looked at. And in, in this letter, Paul frequently uses the phrase, therefore, as we've been reminded. Paul is saying that means this is what you need to understand. Therefore, in view of what I've just said to you, this is big, this is important. Listen to what I say now. 17 times, Paul uses that word in Romans, therefore. And here we find another. So up until this chapter, Paul continues to talk about and demonstrate the depth and width of God's mercy to us. You really don't understand how much God has given you, despite all that you do, despite how undeserving you are. God remains and is merciful. And so he urges us, therefore, in view of that, to respond by offering our bodies and the transforming of our minds. And so he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Not turning up on a Sunday. Part of it, but that's not our true and proper worship. Offering your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. Can't do better than that. It's all very well talking about doctrine, the doctrine of faith, why we might believe what we believe. But here Paul starts to talk about the issue of how our faith affects the way we live out our lives, day by day, 9 to, nine to 12, whatever it is, 7 to 12. Not just in the big scheme, not in the meta-narrative as they say, but in, our, in the everyday things, in the little things, day by day, day in, day out. And when we allow our faith to affect our lives in the correct way, it leads to a life that is holy 
and therefore pleasing to God. Apart from that series on Romans, I spoke about this passage on a previous occasion. It was just over 19 years ago, on the 18th of August in the year 2000. It was to a large group of 14 to 18-year-olds on a Christian house party in Barnstable School in Devon. And I know it was this passage, and in that place there, and not because I have an amazing memory, but for two reasons. Firstly, it was because, because I found the notes. And secondly, it was because as I preached on it, God called me to be ordained. As I was speaking out, I went, oh, that's interesting. And as I looked at those notes and what I'd said on that occasion, I thought, am I any more holy now than when I heard it and responded to Paul's words all those years ago? I'm not sure I am. But what I am sure is that if I were able to stand before you this morning and say, I am holier than I was then, then I know pride, if not already present, would rush in and that holiness would evaporate. It rather reminds me of the Peanuts cartoon, I'm sure I've told you this before, where Lucy says to Charlie Brown, I've figured it out, Charlie Brown. If you stay depressed for two more days, you'll make it into the Book of World Records. And Charlie Brown says, wow, that's great. And Lucy says, you just blew it. (laughs) Is it possible to be holy or are we always going to blow it? Holy essentially means to be set apart. How do we achieve that? How do we become holy? How are we to live lives that reflect that we are set apart for God? That is part of what it means to be a sacrificial people. Letting go of those things that serve ourselves, that please ourselves, and setting ourselves aside to do those things that God calls of us. Calls of us. So as we turn again to Paul's letter in Romans chapter 12, particularly these first two verses. I mentioned Paul up to this point had been talking about the theory of living as a Christian. And then here at the beginning of this chapter starts to look at the practicalities of living as a Christian. So a little bit after I'd preached on this passage all those years way back, I remember just speaking to someone um, who wasn't a Christian in, in my early days as a curate. And she was asking me about my sense of call to be ordained in the Church of England. She asked me this question. She said, so have you always been a holy person then? I must say it caught me rather off guard. I I didn't quite know what to say. Of course, in one sense, I had been holy since I became a Christian. So Hebrews 10.10 says, Well, I think it says so. And by that will, God's will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You go, end of. But it goes on. Because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever 
those who are being made holy. Being made holy. That means it's an ongoing process. But her question still remained. And I knew the answer. On my part, the truth was no. I had not always been holy in the sense that I think she meant. And I considered myself far from holy. But I have to confess that the truth was too hard to tell. So I told her that holiness was not the main issue. I moved the conversation on, but was very much challenged by her question. The truth is that holiness is an issue. There is no getting around it. It is a direct command from God. 1 Peter 1 says, Just as he called you, sorry, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. God is a holy God, and he demands that we reflect that holiness as Jesus did. So, it seems to me that there is no getting around it. Your faith should make a difference to your life and to the person you are. If people are to come to know Jesus through us, then how are they going to if they don't see any of Jesus in us? So what does this passage have to say about this, and how are we to apply it? Well, you may be shocked and surprised to know I have three brief points. And and to help us remember, we need to look a bit closer Uh, to the author of this letter, St. Paul. St. Paul. A saint in the New Testament is one who is consecrated or committed to God. All Christians, therefore, are saints, and St. Paul, therefore, was no exception. The first point, that actually, uh, to lead a holy life is not complicated. It's a bit like my Greek tutor saying to me, Keith, this is easy. All you have to do is do everything I tell you. There was the problem. A holy life is not complicated. It is really very straightforward. All that it requires is one thing, and that is total submission to God. The passage tells us that we need to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. That is an act of will. We have to decide to do that. That's a decision we must take. The sacrificing of animals in the Old Testament has been made obsolete through Jesus' full and final sacrifice. But what God now requires is the offering of ourselves. It's a matter of priorities. It will be costly. But it is all that God requires of us. It is a cost that we considered when we became a Christian. But sometimes we take our eye off the ball, or the cross indeed, and take back that which we had given over to God. God wants every part of us. He has so much to give us, and so we should want all of him. There is no way of being half-hearted about this. So listen to the psalmist in Psalm 42, which Alan referred to in the church meeting on Wednesday. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? Is that you? Sometimes? Always? Do we long for God? Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in response to what God has done for you, do this. 
offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Submit to God. Long for God. The sacrifice here no longer involves the taking of the life of another, be it an animal, but the giving of one's own to God. So the most important issue in a holy walk is really our personal spiritual walk. That is something we must both safeguard and develop. That is of the utmost importance. People say, don't they, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, that may be true, but to be an effective Christian who is living a life that is moving in the right direction, a life that is worth offering to God, that has been submitted to him, then you need to be around other Christians. St. Paul was such a man, as you read the epistles, you are struck again and again by his wholehearted submission to God. It seems that there was nothing he would not do for God and no place he would not go. The command in verse 2 is no longer to be conformed to this world or to this age. That is the pressure that we're all under. It's all too easy, is it not, to go with the flow but we are called to be different. What we need to grasp is that we are a new creation. It is done. Our lives are changed. But we need to submit to God. We need to let go of the past that has been dealt with and move on with God into the future. It's a bit like changing a job. I used to work in uh, healthcare in a very different area. I used to treat some patients with facial injuries and deformities, amongst other things. And uh, as you know now, I'm a, a chaplain in, still in healthcare, but in a quite different field. So imagine that I, if I continue to deal with people in my later professional capacity as I did in my old. So say someone came to me with an important issue they wanted to talk about, and I said to them, well, what I need to do for you is to make you some kind of prosthesis. I mean, maybe a false ear would help be quite ridiculous. The old has gone. Things are completely different now. I have a new boss. I live and I work in a different discipline. I have left the old behind. Things are different now. So we are called to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Submit to God. Submission. That's the first point. This is followed by transformation. You see, the truth is that God wants to lead us in a better way. If we submit to him, we will be transformed, it says. Sometimes we're fearful of that. I presume you did, but did you hear the one about the two caterpillars sitting on a leaf when they see the butterfly pass by? And one turned to the other and said, you won't catch me going up in one of those things. Maybe we fear the unknown of what lies ahead of us. Personally, I find the prospect of a future in God's hand and not mine is quite exciting. I mean, I look back, I see how God has moved, how he has guided me and led me. I know that it's all good. God doesn't want us to leave behind anything that was good. But he does require us to leave behind the rubbish. Some years ago when I was in uh, Oxford, I heard a curious story from a lady who worked with people who lived on the streets of Oxford. 
She told us of a man who used to turn up at the drop-in centre every day, carrying with him two very heavy bags. And often he would uh, come with some kind folk who had volunteered to carry his bags for him. Frequently he would not go down the stairs to the coffee bar because he didn't want to leave his bags. He subsequently died, not consequently, subsequently. And uh, this lady went to his funeral. And at the funeral, she found out that this guy lived in a house outside of Oxford. And he had a private income. And he would come into Oxford every day by taxi. With his bags and his dirty old clothes. That was the way he chose to live his life. And it was fairly aimless, to be honest. And at the funeral, this lady spoke to some of the relatives who were there who said that he had lived his life like this for many years, although he had no need to. It was his personal choice. So she then felt compelled to ask them what was in those heavy, cumbersome bags that were so important to him. And they said nothing. Old newspapers, rubbish. All day he carried rubbish. Now, there may be reason for that, poor chap. Mental health may not have been very good, but it appears that in a way it was a waste of a life. As Christians, we need to ensure that we are no longer carrying around the rubbish of the past, yesterday's news. The past is gone. All that it does is weigh us down and hold us back, as it did this man. This is a new beginning. I think sometimes we we lose sight of that. We need to let go of those things in our life which are offensive to God or sinful because we are still, frankly, carrying some of that rubbish. We need to throw the rubbish out. The problem is that too often the way that we seek to do that is be relying on our own will and power and determination. Whatever the issue may be for us, be it worry or possessions or money or relationships or anger or fear or bitterness or gluttony or pride or lust or alcohol, we decide that we are determined that we will never do it again. We pray against it, we fight against it, we set our will against it, but we struggle in vain and we fall and fail. Paul exhorts people to move away from this kind of thinking and refers to it like will worship. We worship the will rather than worship God. The moment that we feel that we can succeed and attain victory over sin by the strength of our will alone is the moment that we are worshipping the human will. Listen, we cannot do it. The transformation of our lives comes from God. Paul realized that we will not become righteous or holy before God by our own efforts, but by accepting that we are made righteous through what Jesus has done for us. There was a song a few years ago by Amy Grant. I don't remember it. I've decided I'm going to live like a believer, turn my back on the deceiver. I'm going to live what I believe. I have decided that being good is just a fable because I've tried and I'm not able. I'm going to give it to the Lord. (laughs) 
sticks in my mind, that song. I remember it just then, you know. But there's a danger. Sorry? (laughs) There is a danger of an error in the opposite direction. As many things in the Christian life. We are therefore tempted to believe that there's nothing that we can do, therefore we won't bother. If all our efforts end in disaster and if righteousness is a free gift of God, then does it make, not make sense that we must wait for God to come through and just transform us? And whilst he's waiting to do that, I'll just carry on. That would appear to be a logical conclusion, but it is a faulty one. We must find the middle ground, a path which essentially is that daily offering of our lives to God as a living sacrifice, that submission to him and to his will. It's rather like walking along a narrow ridge on a mountain called an arete, if my physical geography serves me correctly, where you have two corries or cirques or kums on either side. So there's this thin ridge. There's a massive drop on either side that we are in danger of falling into. And the drop on one side is our act of will and determination to defeat sin and become holy And on the other side is our inactivity of any kind or even a desire for change on our part. And on the ridge is the path, a path that is the balance between the two extremes. And that path is the one of submission in our walk with God. Was there ever anyone who was not more transformed than Paul himself? Before he met Jesus, he spent his days doing all he could to kill and persecute Christians. And then after he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, all he could do, he did all he could to encourage people to become Christians. That wasn't self-determination. It wasn't a decision one day he woke up and thought, this is what I'm going to do. It was the work of God in his life as he submitted himself to God's service. We also know that it was not all plain sailing for him. He struggled, as we do. He often referred to a thorn in his flesh, which we presume to be some recurring problem of weakness. But God, of course, was able to use him mightily. And so that brings us to the last point. Occasionally, my love of motorsport becomes more evident, and so it does here, I'm afraid. You see... Having seen the need for submission and then for transformation, which was ongoing, I consider that he was in pole position. Lewis Hamilton, who's a Formula One racing driver, if you don't know, whose birthday is on the 7th of January, the same as me, but obviously a few years later, started, he has started 250 Grand Prix races in his career. And of them, he has qualified in pole position. That means at the front of the pack, 88 times. That's a success rate of approximately one-third of all races. And he has won 84. That's roughly, again, one-third. Mainly because he was in the best position to win the race. Now, there will be some he wasn't on pole and he won the race, and some he was on pole and he didn't, but on the whole, he was in the best position to win the race. Here, Paul is in the best place to win the race. And where is that place? Well, according to the passage, it is within the will of God. Or the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. 
That is the best place to be. As an aside, I remember when I was speaking to that group of young people, 14 to 18-year-olds, I was saying to them, essentially, God is interested in everything we do in our lives. Where we live, if we marry, who we marry, what we do, all those things God is interested in. I also said, this is what, where God challenged me, that sometimes we may find ourselves in a place where we are convinced God's called us to be, but as time goes on, that's no longer God's calling upon our lives. And so we can get in a rut, we can get comfortable. Um, and sometimes it's time to move on. And at that point I went, mm, that's interesting. Am I in a rut? And it went from there. Am I within God's will was my main concern. To be within God's good, pleasing and perfect will. Why would you not want to be within that? God's good, pleasing and perfect will. That is the best place to be. You see, Paul realized that God had created him for a purpose. And that purpose was to bring the good news of God's forgiveness and transforming power to the non-Jew, the Gentiles. That is you and me. I'm sure God would have found some other means, but nevertheless, the reason you are sat here, you could possibly say, is down to Paul himself. That is what he has done today. And likewise, God has a purpose for you and for me. God loves you and wants the best for you. He wants you to find out what his good, pleasing and perfect will is for your life. The crazy thing is that sometimes we seem to think that we can improve on it. We think we know better. Here we are told that we should submit to God's way. And so I remind you of the covenant. We are called to be a sacrificial people. Risking uncertainty. Becoming vulnerable and reflecting the generosity of God. I was reflecting on that really. I think, um, so for example, um, my calling to be ordained, you know, one could say was sacrificial, but actually I didn't see it like that because I knew God had called me to do that. So it is sacrificial, but if we're in God's will and know what God's will is, then if you truly want to be within that will, then it's, it is sacrificial, but it doesn't seem like that. To think our decision is best is, of course, a mistaken thought. God knows what is best. It might not always appear that way, but he does. You want to reach your full potential? We as a church want to reach our full potential? We can only do that within God's will. Sometimes things don't work out as we expected, and sometimes we will never know why. But the best place to be is still within God's will. And the place to start is firstly in submission to him. As the process of transformation continues, we find ourselves in the best possible place or position within the will of God. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Submission, transformation gets us to the best position within the will of God. Let us pray. Lord, help us to be um, a sacrificial people. Help us to be prepared to let go of the rubbish that we carry with us. And may your spirit, as we walk with you day by day, be transforming us. Help us to be committed to your will and purpose for our lives. Help us to submit to you and your will and purpose, that we may be transformed and become more in your likeness. For we know, Lord, that's the best place to be within your good, pleasing and perfect will. And that by being so, you may be able to use us more for your purposes. Help us, Lord, to be together a sacrificial people, looking not to our own desires and needs and our own wills, but to your will at work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.